Hi, welcome to Exploring Possibilities. I'm your host, Cheryl Sitz. You know, I love to facilitate personal awakening and transformation. I do it in my coaching work, as a holistic practitioner, in my events, and since 2012 on this show as well. You can listen to Exploring Possibilities on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play, where you can subscribe and rate us too, so others will find us. You'll also find our shows and a lot of other goodies at journeyofpossibilities.com. We'll continue with today's show in just a moment. Have you ever gone to a social media seminar and you have the online experts telling you, get a blog, get a website, get on social media, all this other stuff. By the time you're done with that seminar, that online expert is very good at frying your brain. (laughs) The funny part is you come back home, you get in front of the computer, and you're lost. Hi, I am Mario with Tech Life Balance. I see this all the time. You spend so much money and still don't know what is going on with your online presence. And you know, you probably don't need all of that. Let me go ahead and translate Geek to English for you and show you what you really need because you don't need it all. You probably only need a few components. You have a great message out there and I would like to hear it and I definitely want to help you put it out there. I am Mario Rosales with TechLifeBalance.net. I produce this podcast because I love distributing messages. Let me help you distribute your message. Who are you? Why are you here? What wonders and opportunities await you beyond physical death? What happened millennia ago to create the damaged earth and fractured societies you see around you? Empowering, enlightening, internationally acclaimed, The Joseph Communications books offer answers to these questions. Spiritual, concise, contemporary, non-denominational, the communications originate from Joseph, a highly evolved discarnate spirit concerned for you and the future of the planet and its peoples. The words of Joseph and his soul group give you the power to bring light and change into your own life and the lives of others and to restore the earth. Available in paperback, ebook and audiobook formats, the communications can be ordered today at www.thejosephcommunications.com and also from Amazon and other major booksellers. All proceeds are used for further publishing and advertising and to make the communications available worldwide. We have got a lot of events coming up. I mean, I haven't even got them all on the website yet. So definitely mark down to visit journeyofpossibilities.com and click on the events tab. Maybe once a week or something, check out what's going on, what's new there. I've got some upcoming blogs on some different things that we've got going on, and then the events will be updated. So check in there and join us for some of the fun events that we've got going on. I would love to get to know you better as well as on the show. And now for the show. Today's guest, sociologist, filmmaker, and speaker, Dr. Michelle Petacolas, helps professional women who struggle with grief and loss to embrace the soul's dance between worlds. I loved that when I saw it on her website. She's a PhD in sociology and draws from her own experiences of loss, particularly that of her parents, and over two decades studying with a Sufi master from Baghdad. She refers to death as an extraordinary once-in-a-lifetime experience. I knew at that point I had to talk to her. Her website is secretsoflifeanddeath.com. Welcome, Dr. Petacolas. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm delighted to be on your show. Oh, well, we're so glad to have you. And you have a very unique perspective. And 
after doing so many of these shows, my first question goes to who is the woman behind a perspective like that? What kind of life experiences would have had to have happened for her to come to that vantage point about death, especially in the United States culture, which is not that vantage point at all. Can you tell me a little about what led you into this path? Yes, I'd be happy to. And the interesting thing is that up until the deaths of my parents, I never gave death any thought at all. And it was the impact of their deaths, both in terms of cracking me open to my emotional landscape and the fact that I had made mistakes and I wasn't prepared that galvanized me, that that pushed me out of my comfort zone and moved me towards my real passion and purpose. It did all of that. And it's like interesting how it did that. One problem was that I had been for most of my life tamping down my emotions, which is not unusual in this culture. And certainly it was something that I had been taught by my parents. And there's something about death that can crack the shell can break you through. And that's what it what happened to me. And that made me really curious. And I really took notice. It's like, whoa, what is this thing called death? And the other thing is that because I wasn't prepared, because we are a, a, a death phobic culture, I was curious about, well, I was annoyed that I wasn't prepared and I made mistakes. And so that was what motivated me to go out and make my film series. It's like I wanted to understand what this was about. And I also wanted to help other people not make the mistakes that I did. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So for me also, it was the death of my parents. I had I had, had some loss, but not like that. I mean, the loss of our parents, I don't care how old you are when you become an orphan, nothing quite prepares you for that feeling of, oh my goodness, my parents are gone. And And like you, I had suppressed a lot as well. And so all this stuff started coming up and we don't really, our culture is kind of like, there's a funeral and there's the the gathering after the funeral. And then everybody kind of goes back to life as normal. And we're left to deal with something that we really don't spend any of our life preparing to deal with. That's true. That's true. And uh, that that impulse to try and get back to your normal reach routine as quickly as possible is not only internally motivated, but the society really encourages us to do that as well. And the problem is that if you do that, you don't allow yourself to fully grieve. And losing parents is a significant loss. And I was just realizing as you were talking that not only do in in a lot of losses, we lose the future. You know, you lose a spouse or heaven forbid, you lose a child. You lose the future of what would have happened. What would life have been together? But when you lose your parents, you lose your past. Yes. You lose your past. You lose your history. You lose the history of your ancestors if you weren't intelligent enough to ask the questions. And after you lose your parents, that's when you start to think, oh, I never asked them. Oh, what about this? Who was what so and so? And how did that fit together? And and it's gone. Exactly. All the questions that we didn't ask, those answers are gone. And that is a big hit. It is a big hit. And then the other thing is what you had said about being an orphan, you know, that uh, that the people who you could always rely on, that they would love you no matter mm-hmm. what, 
they're gone. And the other thing that happened to me was that I had to develop new relationships with my siblings because the relationship had all been mitigated through our parents. And so I literally had to reconnect with each one of them at a different level. Yes. And if the parents happened to be those parents like mine were, that were the glue for bringing several people within the extended family together at holidays and so forth, all of that changes. Really, when we lose our parents, at least in my perspective, everything changed because the way we related with other family members, some distanced themselves because the parents had been the glue. So there's a lot more going on than just figuring out how to be on this earth without mom and dad around anymore. I mean, there's a lot more going on. I agree. I totally agree with you. Go on. And the other thing that happened for me was I had never really figured out how to deal with some childhood trauma and pain anyway. And all that, once we start to allow the grief, if we take the time to allow the grief to flow and to feel it, other grief comes up with it that we've been running from. So it can almost be overwhelming. Well, and that is exactly true. I did find out that all the griefs are linked, particularly those griefs that you've never healed. So that's the other opportunity that comes with death and loss, is that it is an opportunity to clean house, to clear out those old wounds that, you know what, they're actually holding us back. They're preventing us from stepping more fully and completely into our purpose in this life. So there's nothing about nothing like looking at the fact that now nothing stands between you and death because your parents are gone and also realizing that life is short because you've seen your parents die and then you say, "Well, heck, I better get on with it because <laughs> I don't want to die with regret." Yes, absolutely. Our own mortality is suddenly a reality and for me, I lost them rather young, and they were rather young, and I was rather young to lose them in my 20s, which I'm fortunate to have had them that long. But so it was like at that point in life, I thought I was invincible. So to suddenly realize I'm not invincible and my life has an end date somewhere ahead and what it can look like by seeing it so close to me, it's all a huge wake up call. Totally. But Cheryl, how did you lose both of your parents when you were 20? In my early 20s. Um, well, I'm adopted and I was the product of a later marriage in life for two people who'd been married before. And my mom couldn't have children. So they adopted me kind of later in their life. And so they were a bit older than me to begin with. But they both died in their 60s. They didn't live healthy lives and they died young. So I was pretty young in my life. I had just gotten married. I was just starting the family chapter in my own life. And they were both gone. And I had no wow. idea what to do with all of that. So yeah. it brought up a lot of stuff and no, nobody to consult on any of it. Nobody, because your your peer group, they're not dealing with that at that age. Right, right. It was a pretty interesting time. But, you know, like you say, it's also an opportunity. And at that time, I was not as spiritually conscious as I am now. I was religious, but I wouldn't say that I'd gone into a more expanded view of spirituality. So even though I knew that they were somewhere out there in soul form, I didn't know that they were still here with me in soul form. And I didn't really see it all the way I see it now. So I'd love to kind of launch into that with you a little bit. How do you consider this a once in a lifetime experience? And how does your perspective shift that in a more positive direction than we usually see death? 
Well, you had just mentioned that when your parents died, you were not quite as far along in your spiritual journey. And I had been, when they died, I had been doing about 13 years of Sufi work. And so I had actually been opened up by that Sufi work. And then additionally, I did some early childhood uh, emotional healing because I met my current husband at the at the at the Sufi retreat and I wanted it to work this time so I actually did a lot of healing before my parents died but it was right before so I was like totally raw and open when they died and that that was like the final you know push towards moving into this whole new life. And then you say, well, how do I see that as a once in a lifetime opportunity? Well, first of all, we all, all with the exception of those who go through near death experience, really only die once. <laughs> and, but there are people who have done it, you know, two and three and even four times. Yes. And uh, they are amazing people. However, for most of us, the majority of us, it's one, it's a one-time deal. And life is a one-time deal as far as we know. And so we might as well make the most of it. And if, if you open to the experience, you open your eyes and you open your senses, you will experience things that, that are amazing. For example, one of the things that I noticed after my parents died was not only was I grieving and was that hurtful, but it was also ecstatic. There was something amazing about being in that realm between everyday life and the other reality, the other life. And that was numinous. It was awesome. And that excited me. I love that you touched on that that way, because yes, there is something extraordinary happening in every loss that we go through, even though we're in the depths of something that we almost feel like we're not here ourselves because we're so lost in our own emotions at some point, there is something so much bigger going on. First, before we go any further on this, I'd like to kind of backtrack for anybody that's not familiar that much with the Sufi path. Can you tell me a little about that? Well, the Sufi path is an ecstatic tradition. So it's very different from Buddhism in that way. Buddhism is more, you know, sit around and, and, and that's great, you know, very contemplative, meditative. But there are people out there like me who that doesn't quite work for. We're more physically, you know, like up and want to experience that. And so the, the Sufi teacher master that I studied with was about he, he taught through movement and breath. And so I could actually meditate by dancing. And we did a lot of um, slow movement, yogic type movement and whirling. So some of your audience may be familiar with the whirling dervishes and we did whirling and that's pretty ecstatic to do. I actually have some friends that are into that and they love it. They're like, if you, if you, if you don't know what else to do, just whirl, twirl, just do it. <laughs> it's like, okay, I must have missed a chapter somewhere because I didn't know where they came up with that. So this is kind of connecting some dots for me. Oh, good, good, good. So uh, this practice is, Sufism is a very, what? it's a spirituality, it's not a religion. 
and it, it gets to the core of what it means to be in the moment and to be connected to spirit and divine, connected to the universe, to source, in a very in-the-present-in-the-moment way. And it sounds like a very joyful way. Yes. That's yes. wonderful. Well, at least with my teacher, it was. <laughs> I, I think there are different schools out there, and some of them may be a little more stern, but my teacher was was not that. He was a renegade and a rebel, and <laughs> we learned how to do Middle Eastern dance. That was one of our practices. Wonderful. So how in the world do you bring that to something as deep on a completely different place in the emotional spectrum as grief and loss? How does all of that play together? Well, with that in the background, I don't see death as such a terrible thing. I see death as a doorway, as an opening. So that's part of my belief is that we continue. And when doing the spiritual practice, that's where I became aware of that, that that there is something more to life than just th this physical body and this physical plane. And so when I was in, was dealing with my parents' death, I was pulled out of the everyday routine of life because somehow in the face of the immensity of somebody dying, everyday life pales. It's like, oh, that's interesting. But look at this. This is, this is what we're here for. This is the we begin and we end. This is the whole picture. And then suddenly, you know, the everyday concerns, the, the traffic on the highways or, or the uh, demands of people at work, it just, it's just minimized. It's just so much smaller. And that was also what the Sufi work would do for me as well. I would go away for a whole summer and then, then I would come back and it would actually take me a while to get back into everyday life because I was in this ecstatic state. I think that's a wonderful place to be in. <laughs> and and I don't I don't know if I'd want to leave it. Do you do you get attached to just being there? Does it do you find it difficult at all to move back and forth between the two states or have you integrated one into the other and both are present? I'm on that path of integrating both. I can't say that I'm there all the time because we live in these bodies and the bodies have their own agenda and their own history and their own biography and their own responses to things. But ultimately, that's where I want to be all the time. I want to be in that high vibrational state. But I also want to be in it in a way that I can manifest and create what I my legacy in this world. We're not here just to be sitting on, well, for me anyway, I'm not here to be sitting on a mountaintop right. and just being in an ecstatic state all the time. Or why would I be in this body? I'm in this body because I meant to, to be happening in this world and having an impact on others, having a legacy, ha sharing my gifts that's the way I see it. And when we face death, when we see death, when we are reminded of why it is that we are here. So how do you work with someone who contacts you? Do they contact you in the throes of grief? Do they contact you months after a loss because they're not moving through the grief? When does someone typically come to you? And what are some initial steps that you're able to do with them to help them start to process what's happened? Great question. 
first, the latter is more the people I work with. Not always, but tends to be that people come to me three, six months, a year, sometimes 20 years after their loss. Wow. And that's when I'm able to really help them to see where they are trapping their emotions and what their beliefs are that are preventing them from moving forward. So those are the two big areas that I help them work on is, is releasing the emotional energy that's trapped and then changing their story so that they can move forward in their lives. That's, that resonates for me. Does there tend to be a typical story that somebody holds on to that keeps them from being able to let go? You know, the bottom line is that uh, we are taught the wrong way to grieve. We're either taught to tamp down our emotions like I was, or we are taught to become overly emotional. And neither of those work in terms of healing the the body and healing the emotional energy. One keeps the emotions trapped inside. The other keeps re-triggering the emotions over and over again so that it never leaves. Exactly. Exactly. And that happens in healing in all kinds of aspects. There's a point where if we just keep regurgitating the same wound, we're not moving anywhere with it. Yes. And that's where the thoughts and the story come in. Because part of the way in which we keep the momentum of that grief is through our thoughts. And so we dwell on the negative. Oh, I will never see this person again. Oh, poor me. Oh, I'm struggling so hard. Oh, I have to take the garbage out. That's because he's gone. Oh, I'm never going to meet somebody else. Nobody wants me. I'm too old. All those negative thoughts continue to trigger that emotion of grief and unhappiness. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, we have the same conversation. I had the same conversation with a friend a couple of days ago about the way we are about our health. We start to focus on what aches and pains we have instead of how great we could feel. Or, you know, we start talking about how much we're getting older instead of, wow, look at what I'm still doing. All these things and my life is good. It's so interesting how the mind create, it allows us to create whatever we want to create, whether it's more negative or more positive and just being aware of that. So how yes. do you help your clients be aware of when they're going into that negative stuff again? When I'm working with clients in my program, I have a lot of time on the, on the phone or in person with them. And I point it out every time they do that. And I make them change it and practice. And I give them practices so that they start to become aware. It's just a habit. It's just a habit. And so like any other habit, we can change that habit. It just takes practice. Yes. And that's the good news. It's a habit we can change. I think that's wonderful. We have so many habits that we we actually almost make ourselves a victim to our habits instead of remembering, oh, I created this. I can create something else. Wow, what might that look like? How can I change that? And I still do it all the time too. And I teach this stuff, but I still keep coming back to, wow, did, did I just hear what I said to myself? Like the internal dialogue is ridiculous sometimes. It is. It is. And and yet there are there are practices that we can use that will help to uplift us and shift. 
And the other thing to realize is that every now and then when we try and make that shift, we're stepping on the toes of an early childhood pattern. And those early childhood patterns are deeply entrenched because they were formed at a time when they enabled us to survive. So they are not easily released and they will trigger fear when we start to change them. You just touched on something that's so important. You know, I think sometimes in, and we talk to a lot of people who are on healing paths on this show. And a lot of times in our healing journeys, it's easy to get frustrated by the old patterns that we feel like we just can't break these. And like you just said, they helped us survive at one time. I will never forget when someone I was working with said, be grateful for that bad habit because that bad habit was there for you when you felt like nobody else could be. And so it was a way to help you cope. And yeah, we're going to get past it, but for now, be grateful for it because it was there for you. And I think it's really good to remember that some of the things about us that frustrate us now helped us cope at one time. They were important to have. There's another thing to remember, and that is that some of those habits, there are, there are the silver linings within them. So, for example, I grew up as, I guess you would call a people pleaser. Now, the good side of that is that I really can suss out what a person wants, and I really can feel them. I really get them. That's very helpful in my work. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Now I'm going to be playing with that. Okay, where's the silver lining in this thing that I do so that I can appreciate that too? Yeah, that's great. So how else do you work with people? What does that look like when you work with somebody? Then you sign them on for a period of time and help them move through the grief? Uh, yes, uh, usually a three-month program, which is designed to have, uh, to get them where they want. They have a vision of where they want to be. And the three-month program, we make a commitment to get there. And it involves trainings, pre-recorded trainings. It involves one-on-ones with me. It involves deep dive VIP sessions, and it involves group calls. And so three months, you're intensively working. You have homework, uh, assignments, practices, so that, that at the end, you are a long way along you are much further along the path to where you want to be. And you also have the tools to continue to get there. So, for example, I worked with a woman recently who came to me after just being totally distraught with grieving her husband who had died 20 years ago. And she was still actively grieving. I mean, like tears. And the problem for her was that her son reminded her so much of her husband that every time she saw him, she would cry. Oh, wow. So she really was very motivated. And she doesn't do that anymore. It's totally gone. Not only that, she has really grabbed hold of her life. And she's she's taking classes. And she's going out and visiting with new, making new friends and visiting friends and doing fun things. Which is perfect for right now because her her son is getting married. So she really does need to get a life of her own. Oh, and that's so wonderful that she can be fully present for him without having him attached to to his father so much. Yes. Yes. That's fabulous. What a great testimonial. You you say on your website that you help us embrace the soul's dance between worlds. What did you mean when you wrote that? 
what I meant was that when you go through grief and loss to see that we exist both in this world and that the next world is part of our legacy, that we are spiritual beings. So excuse me out there for those people who probably aren't on your, uh, your listen to your iPod anyway. No, they're not but there. <laughs> probably not. So I can say this, that we are spiritual beings. And what I help people do is engage in that dance between being spiritual beings on this three-dimensional planet. And that's a trick because the spiritual being would be very happy to hang out in the ether all the time and, and be in that ecstatic place all the time. But that can be a spiritual bypass. I think that's the term they use yes. where you don't really deal with the emotions and you don't really deal with why you're here. You just, you know, off in, you know, taking another spiritual retreat or doing another of this or that, but you're not really doing what you're meant to be doing here. Exactly. I love the way you language that. Well, just to clarify, because you talked about your program, is that available to people who do not live in your area? Is that available to anyone via technology as well? Absolutely. Yay. Yes. I have worked with people all over the country. Yes. Okay, great. And they can access you at secretsoflifeanddeath.com. Yes. Perfect. Do you have any events coming up that we can know about? Yeah, so I wanted to identify this event so that people can really get a, a sense of how I work. And it's called No Regret, or I guess it's called No Regrets. And it's a webinar. It's coming up a week from today, March 1st, 530 Pacific uh, Standard Time. And to get the information on it, they need to type in live and die with no regret. Okay, and we'll put a link to that on the show as well. Live, yes, live and die with no regret.com. I'm sorry it's long. I would have wanted just no regret, but it was already taken. So it's live <laughs> and die with no regret, which is really the point to do it both in your life, not to wait until the end of your life and then, you know, oh my God, I have these regrets. So live and die with no regret.com. And uh, that's one way to connect with me and to uh, check out my webinar and see what kind of opportunities are out there. I think it's really the best way for people to start to get to know me. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And for your time to be on the show today, it's, it's been great to visit with you. I'd like to ask you, like I ask all of my guests at the end of the show, if there's a parting thought that you'd like to leave us with today. Don't forget to breathe. <laughs> That's kind of ironic working with death, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yes, it has an irony, definitely an irony to it. And the reason is that when we breathe, we get into the moment, we get into the present, we calm down our bodies, and we connect with our spiritual core, with our spiritual self. So how, how great is that? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Petticolas. I have really enjoyed visiting with you. I enjoyed visiting with you too, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Would you like to be a guest on Exploring Possibilities? Drop me a note at info at journeyofpossibilities.com. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.